All right, well, this morning we are going to uh, finish up a series that we started a couple weeks ago talking about what it means to live kingdom-worthy lives. Uh, As you remember, we began two weeks ago talking about what it means to be a kingdom-minded citizen. We looked at and considered the idea of what it meant to be an ambassador for Christ, a minister of reconciliation, living as a testimony of God's redemptive work, proclaiming the excellencies of Him who called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. Because our goal in life is to put His goodness on display. But I want us to understand as we continue to unpack this together that this is not necessarily something that we go and do for God. It's actually a work that God is doing in us. We simply live out of the reality of what He made possible. There is goodness built within His design. And when we live in accordance with that design, we put His goodness on display. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says it this way. It says that we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we could walk in them. I want you to think of it this way. Consider what it means to admire a beautiful piece of artwork. Now, when you do that, typically... You know who the artist is just by their particular style, right? Let me give you an example. How many of you know who this artist is? Raise your hand. Okay, someone want to tell me? Monet. Very very typical style for Monet. Here's another one. Let's try this one. Who knows who this is? Why this is called art, I'm not real sure, but (laughs) who is it, Tim? It's Picasso. All right, one more. Who's this? Anybody know? Thomas Kincaid, the painter of light, right? See, we know without even having any signature or any, uh, any other descriptor, we know who the artists are because of their work, their particular style. In much the same way, we want people to recognize God as the artist when they see our lives. We are His workmanship. We put His goodness on display. Our lives are a beautiful work of redemption. Not because of something that we do for Him, but because of what He has done in us. But keep in mind, God doesn't paint individual portraits. He paints murals. He paints pictures that tell a story. That's one of the things that I love about Thomas Kincaid. When you get to know some of his artwork, you know that there's a story behind every scene he creates. It's usually a neighborhood that he grew up in or cars that his family drove when he was younger. But typically within every painting, there's a story that he's telling. And it's the very same thing with God. And all of the people of God are a part of that story. And it's a story that comes to life in a Christ-centered community. We talked about it last week. We, we tell that story when we forgive one another as Christ has forgiven us. We put His forgiveness on display. We see that story being told when we love one another as He loved us. We put His love on display. A kingdom-minded community puts the gospel on display. That's the story that we are all telling in our everyday lives. Kingdom-minded citizens living kingdom-worthy lives 
in a Christ-centered community. That is at the heart of a kingdom-minded mission. It is a shared calling in all of our lives because we are his workmanship. We are a beautiful work of God's redemption. And the story of the gospel should be revealed in us in our everyday lives. This is not just something we go and do for God. This is a result of what God has done in us. So let's talk about that together this morning. Before we do, let's pray. Lord, thank you for uh, this morning, the chance to, to be together, for the privilege of spending time in your word and considering how it applies to our lives. And Lord, there's, I think there's words that we hear, kingdom-minded or missions, and, and we, we have certain thought processes that, that come to mind, and very often those images... Um, are somehow detached from us. It's something that maybe someone else does. But Lord, help us see this morning that by your design, it's something that we all do, that we're all on mission. We have a kingdom purpose to our lives. We're significant in your plan of redemption. So help us capture that a little bit more clearly this morning so that we can live a little bit more faithfully to your design. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, if you can't tell already, my goal for us this morning is to understand that living out a kingdom, being a kingdom-minded person is not just something that we go and do for God, but it's actually something that God is doing in us, and it is a, a life that is lived out in our everyday, wherever the Lord leads us. And I want us to see what that looks like. So if you want to, turn to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13, because I believe there are certain ways by God's design that we live out some of the things that he made possible, and here's one of them. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13 says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. By abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is in the law of the commandments contained in ordinances, ordinances, that he himself, he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross, by it having put to death the enmity. Now, Enmity is not a word that we often use. That's a little bit distracting. Some of your versions probably have hostility, right? Hostility is a better word because that's something I do think we understand. It's part of our most uh, everyday. It's headline news. You see hostility all over the place. Hostility is kind of like a built-in anger. It's an innate opposition because of kind of a, a general distrust. It's a barrier that stands in the way of building meaningful relationships. And very often, hostility is a hidden reality in all of our lives to the point that we might not even know it's there. But it has a way of revealing itself in certain cases, often in suspicion of people who are not like us. So, for example, we might have assumptions about a person's character based on the color of their skin. We may make judgments about a person's moral integrity based on who they voted for in the last election. 
we might put people into categories based on the clothes that they wear. Before we even know a person's name, we've already highlighted a number of things that set us apart, that make us different. We've created a barrier in our relationship before we've ever begun. And I think it's a tendency that, that we all have in common. And yet Paul says that Jesus broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. That he removed the prejudices. He destroyed the labels that we often apply. And we know that's true because of Galatians 3.28. says that there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither male nor female, neither slave nor free, but we are all one in Christ Jesus. The barriers have been removed by Christ so that relationships can flourish in Christ. Now, how much better would it be if we began with what we have in common instead of all the things that set us apart? Instead of starting with a barrier that divides us, what if we began with a work that unites us? That we're all sinners, saved by grace, brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ, regardless of our ethnicity, our gender, our social class. We've been made into one new man. We belong to God's household, which means we, in Christ, are brothers and sisters in the Lord. What if we began there? Doesn't it at least give us a better opportunity to experience the unity that God intended despite all of our differences? After all, the goal of our mission is not for everyone to look the same. I mean, if you think about it, how boring is that? The beauty is seen in the variety of races, of personalities, of opinions. There's absolutely nothing special about loving people who are just like you. There's nothing special about that. But there's something miraculous about being connected with another person with whom the only thing you have in common is the gospel. That's amazing. In fact, that's a portrait that people look at and say, I want to know who that artist is. Because that's incredible. Living in unity is a part of our mission. It's a powerful way to put the gospel on display. But we don't create unity. It is a work of God. Jesus broke down the dividing wall. He destroyed the barrier. He destroyed the labels. We are one in Christ, and that is a work of God. Our goal is to protect what Christ accomplished. We build our relationships based on what we have in common through faith in Christ alone. Now, last week I was visiting with some folks after the service. I usually have my best thoughts sometime after my sermon. They rarely come out in my sermons. But we were talking about this as it relates to the, the principle of community, which is our topic last week. And the point I tried to make in these conversations is we don't create community. Community is a work of God. It's ultimately a work of the cross. We live in the reality of what God made possible. If we try to create it, we're just duplicating something he's already done. 
It'd be like this as an example. Let's say one day I said, hey, I have a great idea. Let's play a game together. And uh, I'm going to make up this game, and let's say we'll rotate in and out, but let's start with nine players on each side. And I don't know. Let's have some bases. We'll call, call the first one home. We'll put one guy 60 feet, six inches away from that home plate, and I don't know, he'll have the ball. And he'll throw the ball over home plate, and the other team will have a guy with a stick, and he'll try to hit the ball and run around. The Doesn't that sound, oh, you already know what I'm talking about, don't you? I'm describing the game of baseball. Why would we want to recreate something that already exists? Let's just go play. Let's just go play and enjoy what has already been created. I look at church the very same way. We don't have to create unity because unity has been created by God when Jesus Christ paid a price that brought us all together into one new man. So let's just go enjoy what he made possible. Let's be faithful to live within his design. This is his idea. And when we do, we put his goodness on display. Let's protect what he made possible to the praise and glory of His name. You see, when we live in accordance with His design, nobody around here is taking any credit for anything that gets done that's a blessing to someone else's life. We give all the credit to God because it was His idea in the first place. Do you see the difference? One puts a focus on us and all the things that we've done. The other puts a focus on God and all that He's accomplished. And we're just going to live in that design and put His goodness on display. God is the ultimate artist, and we want people to see his handiwork when they look at our lives, because hidden, hidden within his creative work is a picture of the gospel. Let me give you an example of what that looks like. Since you're in Ephesians, you can go to chapter 5 and begin reading with me in verse 22, another familiar verse or set of verses. But read along with me. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, and Christ also, as Christ also is the head of the church. He himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. So that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. We've talked about this before, and so not telling you anything new when I tell you or remind you that God created marriage to put the gospel on display. Marriage is designed by God. Submission and self-sacrifice, those are ultimately attributes of Jesus Christ. Jesus was equal with God, and yet he submitted to the will of the Father. He was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He sacrificed for the good of others, shedding his own blood for the forgiveness of our sins. Those those qualities, those attributes that we see being lived out in the person and work of Christ are the very foundation upon which the marriage relationship ultimately thrives. That's why 
being faithful in your marriage is actually a part of what it means to live out a kingdom-minded mission. It's part of your mission. Because in your marriage, God has designed it to put the gospel on display. Hidden within the relationship is a picture of the gospel. We see love expressed through submission in both the marriage relationship and in the gospel. We see self-sacrifice as the basis of love, both in the marriage relationship and in the gospel. Marriage is designed by God to put the gospel on display. That's why we fight so hard for the integrity of our marriages. This is not just about our happiness. (laughs) Marriage was ultimately designed for the glory of God. It is a love that endures because of a covenant commitment. It is a relationship that flourishes because of forgiveness, because of grace. Those are the attributes that we see in our relationship with Christ. God is the artist. And we want people to see His handiwork in our marriages. And not only in our marriages. We should see it in our families. Parents, you are called to raise your kids to know and follow Christ. And you need to understand. I need to understand. We need to understand that parenting is a part of our what it means to have a kingdom-minded mission. Parenting is being involved in God's mission on earth because your family is your primary mission field. That's the way God designed it to be. But it's a shared responsibility among all those within the body of Christ. We say it often around here. We want to partner with parents to raise up the next generation of Christian disciples. This should be a place where they learn about forgiveness and grace. This should be a place within this community of believers where they see the gospel being lived out every single day. Trying to make the point that the kingdom-minded mission should be a part of our everyday lives, whether you're married or you're single, whether you're a student or just beginning your career or find yourself in retirement, whether you're out on the golf course or somewhere in your office at work. We want people to recognize that God is the artist when they see our lives living in a way that brings praise and glory to his name. That is at the heart of a kingdom-minded mission. It's not something that we just go and do for God. It's the natural outcome of what God has done for us. It is the built-in result of faithful obedience when we follow God's design. So, am I in some way suggesting then that you just need to live in a way that puts the gospel on display and you never really have to say anything about Jesus? <laughs> it's just implied. No, that's not true. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. Let's make sure we nip that one in the bud real quick. It's up there, right? 1 Peter chapter 3. Okay. She's always one step ahead of me. Thank you, Lisa. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 says this. 
But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. Yet with gentleness and reverence, the reason we strive to live within God's design is so that we can tell his story. We want to speak of the hope that we have in Christ. We want to talk about the artist of our life and his work of redemption because when we tell our story we're sharing the gospel that is the story of our lives a story of redemption a kingdom-minded mission should be a part of our every day it's not something we simply go and do for God it's the result of what God is doing in us our hope is based on what Christ accomplished and that is the story that we want to tell now even as I say this I don't want you to hear me say that serving in a mission field in a foreign land is not important because that's not true nor am I saying that we really don't need to, to serve in soup kitchens or dig wells in Guatemala but what I am saying is this until a kingdom-minded mission is a part of your everyday it will be difficult to have a kingdom impact anywhere else in the world. It's kind of like what we talk about when we talk about men who serve as elders at Melanie Park Church. We want to identify men who are serving as elders before they're ever given the title of elder. Because if it's not a part of their everyday, then it doesn't matter what title you give them. This is a hard issue. And we want to see that kingdom-minded people are living that fact out every single day. Sharing the, the hope of Christ in every single day. And those are the people that truly will make an impact around the world. Because all they're going to do is take what they're doing every day and just do it in another place. You see the difference? This is not something we just disconnect and go and do for God. This is the everyday reality of what God is doing in us. And we want people to look at our lives and know that he is the artist so that when they ask about those things in our life, we tell them about our hope in Christ. It's a built-in result of faithful obedience when we follow God's design. It's a life that is oriented towards the glory of God. Because if we look at it from this perspective, it, it takes away the tendency to take all the credit about what I'm doing for God in His kingdom plan. Instead, it shifts our focus to what God is doing in me for His kingdom work. And I live out of the faithfulness of what He has called me to do because here's the reality Jesus did not come primarily to solve economic political or social issues Jesus came to rescue us from darkness he came to transfer us from the the domain of darkness into the the kingdom of him his the the son of God in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins he came to establish his church as a heavenly outpost of kingdom-minded citizens who live 
in a foreign land who understand their responsibility to be ambassadors for Christ, to live as ministers of reconciliation, whose goal in life is to put the gospel on display in their every day. With that in mind, I recently ran across a modern-day parable. I kind of made it fit this morning because I thought it was really good. But I want you to listen to what this is saying because as much as we can say this is true, we would also be just as quick to admit that we are all easily distracted from this mission. (laughs) We worry about finances. We worry about family. We worry about a lot of things that pull us away from what we're ultimately here for as representatives, ambassadors for Christ. So just listen to this parable and just tell me if it doesn't stick with you. On a dangerous seacoast where shipwrecks were often occurring, there was once a crude little life-saving station. The building was just a hut and there was only one boat, but the few devoted members kept a constant watch over the sea. And with no thought for themselves, they went out day and night tirelessly searching for the lost. Many lives were saved by this wonderful little station so that it became famous. Some of those who were saved and various others in surrounding areas wanted to become associated with the station and give their time and their money and effort to support its work. New boats were bought and new crews were trained. The little life-saving station grew. Some of the new members of the life-saving station were unhappy that the building was so crude and poorly equipped. They felt that a more comfortable place should be provided as the first refuge of those saved from the sea. They replaced the emergency cots with beds, better furniture, and an enlarged building. Now the life-saving station became a popular gathering place for its members, and they redecorated it beautifully and furnished it with all sorts of things. Less of the members were now interested in going to sea on life-saving missions because they hired lifeboat crews to do that work. The mission of life-saving was still given lip service, but most were too busy and lacked the necessary commitment to take part in the life-saving activities personally. About this time, a large ship was wrecked off the coast and the hired crews brought in boatloads of cold, wet, and half-drowned people. They were dirty and sick, and some of them had different colored skin, and some spoke in strange languages, and the the beautiful new club was considerably messed up. So the property committee immediately had a shower house built outside the club where victims of the shipwreck could be cleaned up before coming inside. At the next meeting, there was a split in the membership. Most of the members wanted to stop the club's life-saving activities as being unpleasant and a hindrance to the normal life pattern of the club. But some members insisted that life-saving was their primary purpose and pointed out that they wanted to, to save the life of all the various kinds of people who were shipwrecked in those waters. And they could begin their own life-saving co- station down the coast. And so they did. As the years went by, the new station experienced the same changes that had occurred in the old. They evolved into a club, and yet another life-saving station was founded. If you visit the seacoast today, you'll find a number of exclusive clubs along the shore. Shipwrecks are still frequent in those waters. Only now, most of the people drown. It's a modern-day parable that has 
a really relevant truth to what is happening within our Christian communities. We are called to a kingdom-minded mission every day. We are called to a life-saving message every day. We want people to look at our lives and ask us questions about the artist and his work of redemption. And, and you know as well as I do that that very often doesn't come when you've got everything together. More often than not, they've got questions when you're working through hard stuff. And they want to know how you're doing it. So my encouragement to us all is to understand that kingdom-minded mission is not something that we go and do for God. It is the reality of what God is doing in us. And when we tell our story, we're telling his story. It's the gospel story. It's a story of redemption, and it should be told in our everyday. And until that's a part of our everyday, it doesn't matter where we go in another part of the world. But when it is a part of your everyday, then all you're going to do is take your story to a new location and see God at work in those places too. So let's just be committed to the understanding of what we've been called to, and may we never lose sight of the life-saving mission that we've all been given. It's the only reason we're here and not within. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the reminder. You know, our enemy's good. Man, he's good. He's good with distracting us with good things. He's good at distracting us with things that seem worthwhile. And yet, in the big picture, it's a distraction from what we're ultimately here for. Father, we want to be kingdom-minded citizens. People who live kingdom-worthy lives. So that when people see our lives, they see you as the artist. And they see your attributes of love, of forgiveness, of grace, of self-sacrifice, of humility. May they see the person and work of Christ and how we live in our marriages, in our families, in our community. Father, help us to live faithfully in your design so that we can display the goodness that you built into it. Father, you've made this easy for us. We don't have to do something for you. We just have to live out the reality of what you're doing in us. And that's our testimony that brings glory and honor to your name. Father, may we live life-saving missions every day by living to the praise of your glory. We pray this. In the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, amen. Have a great day.